How do you become America's best-selling brand? You build the legendary F-Series truck, America's best-selling truck for 41 years. Now is a great time to check out Ford F-Series trucks with great offers, leases, and financing at your local Ford store or online at buyfordnow.com. Republic of Soccer podcast. I'm Connell McCourt, coming to you from the Sports Radio 10 WHB Studios in Kansas City. To join me on an absolutely massive day for US soccer, as Chelsea have agreed a fee for US men's national team and Hershey, Pennsylvania native Christian Pulisic. Nate Bukiri will be here later to chat about that. Also on a big day of Premier League action, we saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United team beat Newcastle. Chelsea struggled home to Southampton, and Burnley pick up with could perhaps be their biggest three points of the season against fellow strugglers Huddersfield. Then we'll also preview the colossal, the mouth-watering tie tomorrow between Manchester City and Liverpool. All that and much, much more over the next 45 minutes or so on the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. Remember, if you do want to get involved, you can get involved on Twitter. I am on there, Connell underscore MCC. That's Connell underscore MCC. If you want to get involved, any thoughts, queries, opinions about the podcast. So, we will be speaking to Nate Bikiri just later on uh, the whole Christian Pulisic saga, of course. Uh, for those who don't know, Chelsea have agreed a fee with Borussia Dortmund, believed to be in the region of $73 million for the services of the Pennsylvania native, which I think is, I mean, a stroke of genius by Chelsea. USA 2026 World Cup coming up. Interest is going to be high, and they've just went and signed the best hope for the US, the shining light for the US. They've basically just turned every neutral soccer fan in the US into a Chelsea fan. So we'll speak a bit more about that with Nate Bukiri later. A massive night in the Premier League as well. Manchester United, who are recently under the stewardship of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, not Jose Mourinho anymore after he got axed uh, not long before Christmas. They got another win. Uh, that's the fifth win in a row now for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Of course, they haven't really played many great teams in that, but they're they're picking up points that... I don't think Jose will be picking up another, another comfortable win tonight. Uh, they were a far better team. 2-0, uh, of course, away to Newcastle against Rafa Benitez. Struggling, Newcastle said. They, Newcastle aren't a bad team, but they, they just, I mean, everybody already knows. Mike Ashley has declared he wants to sell the club. He's not going to be putting any more funds into the club. So Rafa's really up against it there. Man United, they've put on a good run of form, especially Paul Pogba since... We know it was. It seemed to be the worst kept secret in soccer that 
Manchester United wasn't exactly right, weren't ticking when Jose was at the helm, especially with Paul Pogba. The two just seemed to clash. Their personalities didn't it didn't seem to match. A couple of the players seemed to do that because I mean it sort of looked like the down tools towards the end of uh, Mourinho's tenure. Pogba since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in has been a revelation. He looked like the Pogba that we seen at the World Cup, the amazing player who can dribble, who can run, who can create space, who can score. Last and the proofs in the pudding. Last five games, four goals, three assists. Whereas we didn't see anything like that type of player when uh, Mourinho was still at the helm. So good victory for for Man United. I think we're going to really find out what Man United are made of over the next couple of games. They do have Tottenham coming up here after the FA Cup, so we'll have more of a benchmark of where they're actually at because they have had a couple of I wouldn't say easy games, but they haven't been the toughest. I think that may have been. That may have filtered into why they actually axed Mourinho when they did. Just something I was thinking about earlier. This has been a nice couple of games for, for Man United. Yeah, in the four games that Solskjaer has actually faced now was away to Cardiff, home to Huddersfield, home to Bournemouth and away to Newcastle. Now those seemed like, even when Jose was there, very winnable games. Not saying they would have won them in the way that they did uh, under Solskjaer because they've been playing expansive stuff, stuff that they... We did not get used to seeing under under Mourinho. Since he left, or since those games are coming up, he was actually just after the Liverpool game. With those games coming up, I think if he had won those, it could have been a bit tougher to sack him. Some of the fans might have, well, we've had a couple of good results, and it kind of give him a bit of a bye ball. But look, everyone knew that was rotten. Something was rotten in in that dressing room. The players weren't playing for him. Mourinho just didn't. He didn't look himself. He just. He wasn't definitely wasn't the Mourinho that we seen come to the Premier League ten fifteen years ago. Even when he came back with Chelsea the second time, he just wasn't a smiley self. He just every time you seen him, he was cantankerous, always trying to start a row. Nothing was never his fault. So it was kind of the right time for both parties probably to split. And I mean, Man United have reaped the benefits out since. So after this game against Reading in the FA Cup here on Saturday, I think we'll really see in the Tottenham game what they're actually made of. Elsewhere, of course, there were other big games in the Premier League. Uh, Burnley came out on top of which I think a six-pointer away to Huddersfield. Two, both teams struggling down the bottom, but Burnley, they ended up, they held their composure and they came out in a game that I think, honestly, as much as I hate to say it, it's only the 2nd of January. I think that is Huddersfield. That has condemned them to the drop. I can't see them sacking David Wagner. That it doesn't really seem like the club that they are. They they're not backed by multi billionaires. You know, it's this is a family run club. They brought David Wagner when they were bottom of the championship, and he brought them right up to the Premier League. So I just can't. I, I don't think they'll sack him. Should they? I mean, probably should they bring in Big Sam, try and survive in the Premier League? I just can't see them doing it. I, I mean, they just even if they did bring in Big Sam or whoever, it would be a Titanic task above uh, for any coach to stay in the. I just don't think Huddersfield have the players to stay in the Premier League. So Burnley, of course, I think they possibly could beat the drop. They haven't been playing well all season. They brought Tom Heaton back in tonight, dropped Joe Hart, and they got they got the two one win. Sean Dyche's team they, they haven't looked they haven't looked anything like they looked last year. Last year they were defensively organized. They were solid. They they just played the way they can win and they seem to go away from that this year tonight from what I've seen in the highlights they seem to be sort of back to playing that type of that type of play they play two banks of four two wingers getting at you two strikers up top to try and score and Chris Wood and 
Ashley Barnes, of course, on the score sheet today, trying to keep Burnley up, trying to keep Burnley successful, relevant and in the Premier League. West Ham were held at the London Stadium by Brighton. Brighton raced into two-goal leads 13 minutes into the second half just through Dale Stevens and Shane Duffy, but they were pegged back by a double from Marco Arnautovic. West Ham are a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum at this at this stage of the season. They started very poorly. Pellegrini seems to have got them playing some good football. But they've got some good players, Felipe Anderson, uh, Chicharito, of course, Arnautovic. I think West Ham could definitely be looking for uh, top ten, but and they've had a decent run here over the past uh, over the past six or seven games. They faltered away a bit recently, but tonight they seem to be they, they looked in control of the game. Brighton, of course, ran into that early lead, and it, it took them a bit to come back into it. But they showed character, and they came back into it in the end, which I'm sure pa- Pellegrini is is happy with. Another draw uh, down at Bournemouth. They drew. With Watford three three, that was a crazy game. All three go or all six goals, sorry, coming in the first half. Troy Deeney with two for uh, for Watford, and Nathan Ake, Callum Wilson, and Ryan Fraser on the score sheet for the Cherries. That result is probably better for Watford, of course, being away from home and stuff, and it keeps Watford in the top half as well. I think Eddie Howe's team. I think they're safe, of course, but I mean they did come back from two goals down today so he'll be happy with his team as well Palace came out 2-0 victors over Wolves uh, Jordan Ayew back on the score sheet for the first time in I don't know how long he had a dreadful season last year at Swansea when they got relegated and it seemed to mean a lot to him when he scored his goal it's his first goal for Palace tonight his first goal in I think over 15 games in the Premier League and he's he's had a bit of a bad time with injuries and stuff and it seemed to mean a lot to him I think he actually broke down Cran during the during the celebrations, and he took it well too. But was blasted at him by Patrick Van Aanholt, which I think was obviously a shot. But he took his touch, and a deft touch just killed the ball dead and just slid it past the goalkeeper. So he held his composure well. So he'll probably be back to the player that we're used to seeing, or the one that was expected when Palace bought him anyway. Wolves, Wolves were off their game. They weren't playing well, and I like Wolves. I've seen them a couple of times this season, and they play nice stuff. They play nice football. I think if if Wolves got a goal score, a real twenty man, twenty five. Gold man of season, they could really shock some people. Have a go at the at the Europa League because they're right in there at the minute. They're right in that in that hunting pack at the minute of the likes of the Everton's and the Watfords and stuff who put pressure on the top six there. So I wouldn't be surprised seeing what uh, Wolves finish in the top ten this year, especially if they get a striker. So that was all of today's games, and it's left the Premier League looking a bit a bit tight in certain areas of the of the league. Down the bottom, it's it's pretty tight there because they're scrapping for every point. In the middle pack there, there's only one or two, three points between a bunch of positions. Where it's not so tight, however, is at the top of the league. City, Liverpool and Tottenham. It's 3-2-1 and one, respectively. Tottenham, I think Tottenham, uh, mo- most people are saying it's between Liverpool and City. I, well, there are people to sleep in on Tottenham, I tell you, because Tottenham are starting to play some lovely stuff. Really, really lovely stuff. It battered Everton. They had a great Christmas period. People are counting them out. I know Wembley. I know they probably don't have as much quality in their squad as the other two squads, Liverpool and City. But on their day, it will take a tough, tough team to beat Tottenham. Especially how they played over the Christmas period. If they can keep anything like that level of play up, they will be right there. Trust me, they will be there and thereabouts towards the end of the season. The other two, however, will square off tomorrow at the Etihad Stadium. Uh, City against Liverpool. If Liverpool were to win that game, 
that would put them 10 points clear of City with no games in hand. Now, not uncatchable, of course, never uncatchable. We've seen in previous years that 10 points is nothing. I mean, remember Arsenal were 18 points clear at one stage at the very, very start of the Premier League when, and they lost the, or they won it actually on the final day against Liverpool at Anfield. But it, it's not often that you would go 10 points clear and a team in second place or third place would, would come and catch you. It's, as I said, not uncatchable, of course, but that would mean Liverpool would have to lose four games and City would have to win out. No one's unbeatable in the league, of course. I think Liverpool will be beaten. I don't think they'll go invincible all year, but I can't see I can't see them being beaten four times. I think this is a crucial, crucial game tomorrow. I think it's a bit early to say it's a title decider, but my God, if you go 10 points clear, it'll be a massive task for City to come back to that. And they haven't looked great recently. City uh, starting to show a, a few chinks in their armour. They lost a couple of players due to injury. Fernandinho was out and stuff. And Fernandinho was kind of be the player that they're hailing as the guy that makes City tick. It kind of looked that way when they played John Stones there. The defensive midfielder, that just did not work at all. They tried to play him holding midfield in one of the first games of the Christmas period. They played him there against Palace. And that, this was after coming off the penalties defeat in the quarterfinal to Leicester. They played him there against Palace at home and... He looked so out of place. He looked like a deer in headlights. Did not know what he was doing. Didn't know where he was going. So for me, he's not. He is not a midfield player. I don't care what anybody says. It might have been. Some people were saying it was a bit, a bit of arrogance by Pep. Is he just trying to get a bit too cute? Because he has other midfield players there that he can play. And I don't know. I think we're just starting to see a couple of chinks in the armor of City. I wouldn't be going writing them off yet. But I just, even their defense. I don't think defensively they are great. They, they've lost. They've lost three of the last four, and of course it's the easy time now for everyone to pick on City. Oh, look at them, they're not going to be winning, they're not, they're not the team everyone thought they were. Let's be honest, this is the same team that won the league with over 100 points last year. You know, this, these are no, no mugs, no fools. But recently, their defence has looked a bit shaky. They're, they have looked tired, I'll, I will admit that, they have looked tired. They've had a couple of amazing goals scored past them as well by Palace with the likes of Townsend. They've been caught at the right time and that last game even against Leicester when they were beat 2-1 they just looked tired. It wasn't the same team that you see usually from City. They weren't pressing the ball. They weren't making the other team make mistakes. They weren't playing their free-flowing expansive football that they usually do. They just looked a a bit leggy, a bit jagged and of course, yeah, they did. They had a lot of people at the World Cup. They've had a lot of players who've had long, long seasons. Everybody had a lot of players at the World Cup, but especially City when you go through. I mean, Ederson, Kyle Walker, John Stones, Sergio Aguero. Every, it seemed to be, when you go through the 1-11, the majority of them, if, probably 10, if not 11, were all at the World Cup. Whereas other teams like Liverpool, of course, they didn't have Van Dijk at the World Cup, Robertson, you know, the list goes on. But... Could that be what we're seeing now? Are City just starting to slow down a bit? Are, are, are Liverpool catching up? Liverpool have caught up. No one thought that Liverpool would be run away with this league. And you can only beat what's in front of you. And Liverpool have done that, certainly. They've stood up to every test and swept aside all competition. So, it'll be, uh, honestly, an amazing, amazing game. I can't wait to see what's going to happen tomorrow. Because a City win, they're right back in it. They are right back in it. And Liverpool have... They'll be looking over their shoulder. A Liverpool win puts Liverpool 10 points ahead. My God, could you imagine? Probably will be there the year this year. We'll talk more Premier League and we'll talk to Nate Bucati, of course, as well, about Christian Pulisic and his 
venture to West London after this on the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. Kansas City's hometown sports station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Hello and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. I'm Colin McCourt and we're actually going to be joined now on the line. I'm delighted to say by the voice of Sporting Kansas City and the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHB uh, to talk some Christian Pulisic. I'm here with Nate Bukitty. Nate, how's it going? I'm good, Colin. How are you, brother? I'm all good. I'm all good. Well, maybe a bit better than yourself because uh, as for those who don't know, if you've been living under a rock today... Borussia Dortmund today confirmed that U.S. men's national team wonder kid Christian Pulisic, they've agreed a fee for him to join Chelsea just at the end of or at the start of next season. The fee reported to be in the range of seventy-three million dollars. So he'll be going across North London or across London in general. Nate, uh, what type of player can Chelsea fans expect here? You've seen him up close and personal. You followed him across his career, his young career, of course. What type of player are Chelsea fans? Are they going to be getting here? I think they're getting a really exciting player. I think they're getting a very skilled player, a player who, to me, is very dynamic as a winger, particularly. I know that U.S. fans have seen him play some centrally. They've they've also seen him play on the wing. I think that's where he's at his most dangerous, running at defenders. He's incredibly creative with the ball at his foot, running at defenders. And uh, I think that teaming him up with Eden Hazard, you've got two young players who, when they have the ball at their foot, you want to stand up and take notice. So I'm very excited to see what he can do in Chelsea's system, and I think he fills a need for them as well. Absolutely. I agree. And, I mean, there's been a lot of talk now that uh, Pulisic coming in, it kind of frees Hazard up to go because we know he's, he's been flirting with Real Madrid for a while, but he's also he's been sending mixed messages saying that he enjoys it at Chelsea, he won't be sad to finish his career at Chelsea, but Real Madrid's always been his dream. But I can't really see it, uh, the Pulisic thing affect him at all. As you said, I mean, Pulisic, he plays more on the right. Hazard's more known to be playing on the left, or, or essentially. Mm-hmm. But... If those two are playing together, you're right, that is a scary prospect for for any defence to be facing next year. Can, can you see can you see them keeping Hazard as well, or do you think he'll be off the, the pastures new to Real Madrid? I can see it going either way. Um, like you said, I mean, if his ambitions are elsewhere, rarely do you see a player stay when he wants to be somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they usually find a way to force their way to where they want to be. Uh, and teams usually don't want to keep guys around too long if they're not keen on staying. So um, I, I could definitely see them moving on from him, and maybe this is a move that you know allows them to uh, you know to, to to put themselves in a position to be able to cover losing him. I think he's by far their most dynamic player, in my opinion, uh, right now. Um, and I think I think they still need some help scoring goals. I mean, today they played to a nil-nil draw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are not a team to me that that is particularly dynamic compared to some of the top teams in the English Premier League the way that they could be. I mean, I think if you look at teams like Liverpool and Manchester City and Tottenham, I just don't see Chelsea being in that category right now. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, Christian Pulisic can be one of the guys that helps get them. Like I said, if, if I'm Chelsea, I would want to keep Eden Hazard to play with Pulisic. I think if you have two those two players, I think there's room for them on the field together. And I think that you put two players like that together on the field and all of a sudden you have a team that really creates a lot of problems for other teams' defenses. And uh, 
you know, if I were Eden Hazard, I think it would actually create more opportunities for me if I had a guy like Ulysses on my team. Well, yeah, I mean, that would be hard to disagree with. The the one thing that struck me about it, though, was $73 million, I mean, especially, you know, in, in soccer now, who knows what anyone costs, but that is a huge chunk of change. And when I was looking at Chelsea, I wasn't thinking that it's wingers that they need. I mean, as you were saying, the nil-nil today, the, a bore draw, it kind of tells me that Sorry, Maurizio Sarri is kind of planning for next year because if that had been for this year, I mean, they're crying out for goals. He doesn't really seem to fancy Murata. Giroud's went and got himself injured. So the kind of need help up there with Hazard and with Pulisic, I'm sure that would definitely fill some sort of a void. But one of the biggest talking points uh, about the whole transfer is uh, Solidari payments uh, coming to the league, coming to MLS. <laughs> so for people that don't know, Solidari payments are payments that are usually made to uh, youth leagues or amateur leagues who help to develop players who go on to be superstars going for multi-million dollars like today. Usually the way it works is the transfer will go through and then a 5% fee would usually be tacked on to the end and that would just be dispersed to all the players that, that, that have helped develop the player since he was, I think it's his 12th birthday or something. So the team that's actually not going to be benefiting here is a team called Pennsylvania Classics out uh, where uh, Pulisic is from. They should be entitled to up to... $730,000 apparently but because of that bylaw in US soccer uh, which prevents any sort of solidarity payments being made do you think that is something that will I mean obviously it's going to be in the light now do you think it's going to be talked about a bunch more with players more players like Christian Pulisic leaving the uh, MLS at a younger age and, and you know Christian Pulisic was never in MLS well I mean uh, the US in general sorry yeah even the United States yeah because you're talking about what you're talking about here is a club team you know this is a youth club team mm-hmm. that I believe his father was the coach of and a little uh, a little trivia for Sporting Kansas City fans to, uh, to draw, draw a local tie to it former uh, Sporting KC draft pick and the Swope Park Rangers player Colton Storm actually played on that club team oh, really? with Christian Pulisic, yeah, for, for Pulisic's father. Um, but that type of money for a club team is massive money. I mean, that, that could fund the team for years and years and years to come mm-hmm. and allow them to do, do some great things. Um, I, I do think that's something to, to point out is we're not talking about, you know, Sporting Kansas City getting their cut. If they choose to sell, you know, Gianluca Busio on at some point in time, they'll, they'll, they'll get money for that, mm-hmm. for example. But the club team that develops a player who then goes over to Europe gets nothing. And, you know, I do think that's something that should be looked at. I don't understand really what the point of that is. And you're also, what you're really doing is you're just, you're just trying to live in a universe that the rest of the world isn't playing by. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what we're finding is that if the United States wants to be competitive in world soccer, they have to compete in the game that the rest of the world is playing, which is developing players at an incredibly young age and, you know, and, and buying and selling them and investing in them almost as, you know, commodities. And obviously that's not something that, um, you know, is, is always uh, maybe attractive, so to speak, but it is the way of the world. And so, yeah, I think it's something that the United States needs to look at. I don't know, you know, where that is on their pecking order of issues they want to sort through or how mm-hmm. soon we would get to it. But yeah. If, if you were to ask me, I think it's something they should look at, for sure. Yeah, I mean, from for, I've tried to do a bit of research about it today. From what I can see is, what coming from the U.S. MLS Player Junior and U.S. Soccer, what they say is 
it's put in place because they want as little hindrance or as little friction between a player going and and going for a transfer fee abroad. So they see this payment as being some sort of friction. I mean, if you're paying $73 million for a player, I can't see an extra $730,000 being an issue. But but as you said, hopefully, no. hopefully US soccer does look at it in, in the future to help uh, some younger kids who maybe don't have a lot of money or maybe aren't in the their parents aren't in the financial position to put them through put them through uh, soccer schools or anything that this sort of money could help but hopefully that's something for the future moving on to your own team Arsenal uh, hang on a second before we move on I, I do think we need to stop and talk about what this move by by Pulisic going to England means for for American soccer mm-hmm. uh, first of all Seventy-three million. I think for our listeners that maybe don't know, you need to put into perspective. This is more than three times more than any transfer fee has ever been paid for an American player. Um, and you know, right there alone, that that tells you that puts into context where Christian Pulisic ranks. Now, of course, the money keeps getting bigger and bigger as we've talked about, but also, I think that. We need to. This is going to be incredibly important for American soccer that this move works. That Christian Pulisic gets the playing time with Chelsea that a seventy-three million dollar transfer player should get, and that he has success there. First of all, because if the United States are going to have success, you know, in the next World Cup qualifying cycle, he is going to have to be the biggest part of it. So he needs to be in good form. He needs to be playing well and with confidence. Mm-hmm. But the next part of that too is that. You know, lost in all of the uh, struggles of the men's national team to qualify for the World Cup last time around is that there's this really incredibly exciting wave of young players in the, you know, in the, in the mold of Christian Pulisic playing in Germany right now, like the Weston McKinney's and Josh Sargent's mm-hmm. and now Tyler Adams of the world. Yep. And I think that their fate as to whether or not other big clubs in Europe will want to take a look at them is going to be somewhat affected by how uh, it works or doesn't work for Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Like other big clubs have, have traded for or sold for or bought players, American players, you know, such as Matt Miazga, but they did it for small transfer fees, low gambles that they were going to loan those players out right away. We saw it with even um, Eric Palmer Brown. But this is a $73 million transfer fee. They are bringing in... Christian Pulisic to play for them and help them try to win trophies at one of the biggest clubs in Europe. This is massive, and I think even those of us, and I know you're about to ask me about Arsenal, those of us that are American soccer fans, even if I love another club and hate Chelsea, I'm going to find myself rooting for the success of Christian Pulisic because I think there is so much at stake for American soccer based on his success. Hard to disagree with that again. That. It really is massive, and this is a massive transfer fee as well. I mean, I know it's it kind of gets lost in translation because the amount that some teams pay for players these days is, I mean, astronomical, crazy prices. Seventy-three million dollars is a massive, massive uh, amount. Even of for money. the big clubs, that's a lot of money. Even I mean, for that's the a big, significant investment. Absolutely. I mean, Virgil Van Dijk, who some people are talking about being the best centre back in the world, went for two million more than that. I mean, so thank. Well, Amazing. So. But uh, as you were saying, com- coming on to Arsenal, your side are sitting fifth in, in the Premier League at the minute, three points from top four. A bit of a crazy Christmas period. I mean, obviously the battered five-one by Liverpool, and then and then a, a pretty comfortable win yesterday at, at uh, Fulham. 
We're halfway through the season. What do you think about Emre? How do you think Arsenal can go? I just actually sent a text to some of my my Arsenal friends uh, after the Liverpool game. Uh, I looked back at where Arsenal were at this time last year. After the you know after twenty games, which is where they were after the Liverpool game, uh, they were one point uh, ahead of where they were last year, and one position ahead in the standings. They were in sixth place on thirty-seven points last year, and fifth place on thirty-eight points this year. And coming off of a humiliating loss, and my question was, is that progress? <laughs> mm-hmm. And we kind of debated that a little bit. I don't know that the team's making progress. Um, you know, I do think that it was necessary to make the to make the move because. The entire fan base had lost faith in their previous manager. Um, but they just have so many issues. You know, there were some poor transfers made. Their, their roster is not good enough. And then, even while they were playing well, they started suffering all sorts of injuries. And I think those have really added up and started to take their toll on the team a little bit. But their defense isn't good enough. Um, I, you know, I think Ozil's a problem. I'm ready to move on from him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this team's good enough to finish in the top four or not. Um, I think they're good enough to finish in the top six. You know, maybe if they can put put a couple of transfers in in the winter to shore up their defense a little bit, they could. You know, they they, they clearly have a chance to possibly compete with Chelsea, um, and, you know, and, and Manchester United. You know, for that fourth spot. But outside of that, I, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't think I think it's a highly flawed team right now. And. That's kind of where we stand. I think I actually think he, he made a couple of good signs. The Uruguayan uh, Lucas Torreira in, in the middle of the park there, and Gondosi as well. I, I think they'll be good Arsenal players for a couple of years yet. But kind of think that five-one uh, drubbing by Liverpool could be a bit of a blessing in disguise because it showed all of Arsenal's weaknesses. Arsenal went on a, a great run there, twenty odd games unbeaten. Just that was ended. They kind of flattered to deceive a bit. They weren't as good as uh, as those results were making them look like they were, you know, as their standing suggested. But it's sort of shown that they need defenders. For me, they need another winger yeah. as well, and possibly another striker, because he does, I don't really know if he fancies Lacazette or not. You know, right now Lacazette's playing almost as their second striker. Yang, I think, is good enough. Um, but I do think if, if they're going to play a two-forward system, maybe they need to add another one to help out. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that they're just, they have players who are good enough to compete in the premiership, but not good enough to win it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the key distinctions that when I have my arguments with my buddies, you know, players like Granit Xhaka, you know, he's a, he's a good enough player. He belongs in the English Premier League, but he's not a good enough player. You can't win the league if you're relying on him. You can't count on him. Um, you know, Lacazette, I think, is a good enough player for the premiership. He's a good, solid player. I don't think you win the league if, if you're counting on him to be, you know, one of your top goal scorers. When you just look at the difference in quality between him and the guys at Liverpool and Manchester City are, are putting out there, and obviously their defenders are, are not anywhere near good enough. And that is, you know, when you've got, you know, Luke Steiner and Mustafi, you know, on your back line and, and Socrates, you're you're just not competing at the yeah. same level. Yep. And so they've got, you know, but look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, is the club willing to invest in players like that, and, uh, and and will they make the right moves with that money if they do? Those are two questions that I don't have a ton of confidence in. Well, there are two questions that will have at least an idea of how they're going to be answered by the end of this uh, January transfer window. But Nate, thank you again for joining me on the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. We'll be back with more Premier League talk after this.